You're listening to the Mount Pleasant Podcast. To learn more about our church, visit us online at www.mpbc.church. We hope today's message encourages and inspires you. This morning, as Kara mentioned, we're going to begin our new series, Christianity 101. And I believe over the next eight weeks as we go through Hebrews chapter 12 and 13, we're going to be challenged, we're going to be encouraged as we look at the basics of the Christian life. We're going to see it by way of a runner. We're going to see that today in our passage. In essence, we're all runners whether we realize it or not. You know, it's interesting when you study the New Testament, you see all sorts of metaphors describing the Christian life. You see where Jesus said, I will make you fishers of men, fishermen. You see where there are farmers, those who reap and sow. Christians are described as boxers. Paul said, I don't beat the air aimlessly. Christians are described as warriors, soldiers, and we put on the armor of God. But perhaps the most used in the New Testament metaphor of the Christian life is that of a runner. The Apostle Paul used that to describe his own life. I believe Paul is the writer here of Hebrews, and at the end of his life he was in the Mamertine prison in Rome. He would have his head lopped off his shoulders. And he wrote back to Timothy, young Timothy, and he said these words. See the screen, 2 Timothy 4. He said, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight, there's that soldier, and I have finished the what? The race. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Church family, the Christian life is not a jog, it's not a walk in the park. It's a race. We're going to see that in a moment. And the word race that we're going to read in just a moment is the word in Greek, agon. Guess what English word we get from agon? Think of a marathon. I would consider that agony. Wouldn't you? And it is. The Christian life is more of a marathon than certainly a sprint. You've made your way there. Hebrews chapter 12, look at verse 1, we'll read through verse 4. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race, the agon, that is set before us. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider Him, verse 3, that's Jesus, who endured from sinners such hostility against Him, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. Some were in very, very dire situation, but he's saying, if you're still hearing this read, you've not died yet. As we begin this morning, I want to draw your attention to that first word because it's important. That first word of verse 1, you see it? Therefore. Now, that word obviously ties in with what was previously written, and what was that? chapter 11. 
You go, okay. Now, understand, church, the Bible, when it was originally written, it's, we're talking about the New Testament here, they're letters, okay? Do you write letters to people? Well, most people do emails now or texts, but do you write them with chapter and verse? No. But in the 1500s, chapters and verses, delineations were made so that it's easier to read the Bible, to study passages of Scripture, turn to such and such. It's kind of hard to turn to a paragraph in a letter if you don't know where to go to it. You understand? But with those delineations, what we have sometimes, in my opinion, are areas of Scripture that can almost erroneously separate from the thought that was before it. And I think this is one of them. And I want to tell you why. I want to tell you that as we read Hebrews chapter 12 in that first phrase, sometimes we can erroneously think some things that just simply aren't true. And I'll, I'll describe this to you, but I need you to look at it with me again. Look at the first part of verse 1, Hebrews 12, 1. Therefore, the therefore ties it back to chapter 11, okay? Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses cloud of witnesses that throws people. The better translation is huge crowd or great cr crowd of witnesses. But because we see the word cloud there, it has created an issue. It's the idea that our loved ones who have gone on to glory to heaven who are in the clouds are somehow watching over us right now. Is your godly grandmother or grandpa or mama or daddy who have gone on to glory, are they watching what's happening right now in this room? People will use this phrase to say yes. But I'm telling you, it's out of context because they're not the cloud of witnesses. Church, who is the cloud of witnesses? Who were the cloud of witnesses in Hebrews chapter 11? Enoch, Noah, Moses, Abraham, you with me? Joshua, Rahab, those are the cloud of witnesses. And I think if they had started chapter 12 with verse 5, we wouldn't have this issue. But because of this phrase, not trying to burst any bubbles here, there's the idea that my Grandpa or grandma who've gone on to be with the Lord are somehow watching. Listen, I, I don't want them watching what I'm doing. Because I'll be honest with you, I still make some pretty boneheaded decisions. Right? I still don't always act like a Christian. Do you? And church, would that not minimize the joy of heaven? If you could kill me. Let's think about you. Do you want to go to heaven and look back down on this mess? Huh? Would that not minimize the joy to see all of the sin, to see all the suffering and the heartache and the pain? No, that's what we're delivered from. Because to be absent from the body is to be where? Present with the Lord. Listen, church, there's not one shred of evidence anywhere in the New Testament or the Old Testament for that matter that any of our godly loved ones are looking down from heaven at us. It may be comforting to think that, but I'll be honest with you, I don't want them looking down, and I don't want to look down here at this mess when I get there either. Because when we leave this world, we leave sin, thanks be to God. We leave heartache, and we leave suffering. Again, it would defy the essence of heaven for 
our loved ones in heaven today to see what's happening here. Now, I know there are some that I read one commentator and said he gets asked this a lot. He said, well, what about the guy in Luke 16, uh, the guy that, uh, the rich man that, that saw his brothers? Well, no, he actually didn't see his brothers. He just told Abraham, would you send a messenger to my brothers so that they can be warned that it's bad here in Hades? He didn't see them. It was just a warning. All of a sudden, this guy becomes a soul winner in Hades. Nowhere in Scripture will we find any place that describes the fact that our loved ones are looking down upon us from heaven. The witnesses, in summary, the witnesses in chapter 11, are, or in chapter 12, uh, verse 1, the cloud of witnesses, are those we just read about. To read it any other way is to read it out of context. The witnesses are the ones that we studied. Again, Noah, Abraham, Moses, right? Rahab, Joshua. You with me? So it's the other way around. They're not looking down at us. Moses and Noah and Abraham and Rahab aren't looking down at us right now. No, in essence, we're looking up at them. We're being reminded of what they did. Why? So as to be encouraged in our agon, in our race. We look at their lives and, and we're reminded to be encouraged when it was hard for Noah and nobody believed. When it was hard for Abraham and he had to make the journey to Moriah and perhaps kill his son. When it was hard throughout the lives of these witnesses that we've just studied over the last nine weeks. I hope that makes sense because it's important that we understand that. And what the Apostle Paul is trying to get across here is to look at the lives of those that we studied in Hebrews chapter 11 so that we might endure our agon, our race. And that's why he has the word, I believe, endurance here. Look at the end of verse 1. Look at that last phrase in verse 1. Hebrews 12, 1. And let us run with what? Endurance. The race, the agon that is set before us. That word endurance means to remain. In the analogy of the marathon, it means that you remain under the stress and the pressure for how long? 26.2 miles. You remain when there are the obstacles of heat running a marathon in the summer or cold. They run some of them in the winter. You remain even when there are blisters, leg cramps, stomach aches. You endure how long? Until you cross the finish line. That's what a good runner does. Last week we saw the Apostle Paul describing the tremendous suffering these people were going through. You remember this from last week? Some were being beaten. Some were being imprisoned. Some had lost literally everything. They were living in caves. They were destitute. And some were losing their lives. And Paul says, continue with endurance the agon, the race. Don't quit. Endure. Remain to the end. It's the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints. But I'll be honest with you, church, I don't like suffering. Anybody in the room says, yeah, I like to suffer. Okay, you're crazy. Okay? None of us in our flesh like to suffer. That's why I think of in running races, I would prefer to run the 100 meter, like Usain Bolt. You know Usain Bolt, he held the record for the 100 meter for so long. See, he can smile. He only has to run 100 meters. And look how big he is. Look how strong, look how muscular he is. 
And you can carry that kind of weight to give you that kind of quick burst of power for 100 meters. But do you carry that kind of weight as a marathon runner? I've never seen a marathon runner built like that. You know how a mar marathon runner is built? Like this little lady. That's the lady who won the Boston Marathon back in the spring. She's from Ethiopia. That, I love the lady's name. I looked it up. I want to know who she was. Her name is Worknesh DeFega. <laughs> Worknesh, W-O-R-K-N-E-S-H, work, yes. But look at her body. She, she's a thin little thing. She's not overtly muscular, right? Because she needs to carry as little weight as possible. A marathon runner, they do not carry a backpack with water. Will they need water or some sort of, you know, Powerade or something? Yes, but they get that at the stations. But they don't drink too much. They don't overdrink because they don't want to get sloshy. You know what I'm saying? They carry as little weight as possible. And that's how they can endure to the end. That's the first part of the verse. Look at it again. Hebrews 12.1. Now watch this in context. Therefore, therefore what? Now that we've seen all these witnesses, Noah and Abraham and Moses and Rahab and Joshua and Joseph, and therefore, since we are surrounded by this great cloud, Noah and Abraham and Moses, let us lay aside every weight. Notice it. Every weight and sin. Weight, comma, and sin, which clings so easily. You say, why are you saying that? Weight, comma, and sin. Because they're not the same. I thought they were. I thought the, the sin was the weight. It's not. Not in the Greek. It's two different things. It's two different Greek words. Weight and sin. Let me take the second one first. Sin. What does it mean to sin? Literally, it means to miss the mark. Yesterday, Andrew and I was doing a little target practice. He, he was actually doing it. He's a better shooter than I am. So what did I do to draw a target? What did I put right in the middle? Bullseye, right? This is about the size of an egg. He's shooting a little 22 rifle. I said, what did I tell him to hit? The big outer circle? What did I tell him to hit? I mean, duh, the bullseye. Sin is missing the bullseye. It's missing the mark. It's, it's, it's this. It's actually going in the wrong direction. Think of this. You're getting ready to run a marathon. You're up there at the starter's line, and you got the guy with the guns getting ready to fire that thing off. I mean, there's just thousands of people. Lying. Okay, and the guy goes, bang, and you do this. What, have you lost your mind? No, you're in sin. Sin is literally missing the mark. And so to repent of sin, metanoia, to confess and repent of sin is to turn around and go in the opposite direction, the right way to begin with. Okay, so if you got sin, okay, what about the first word that we saw? Weight. It's a different word. The word weight in the Greek means encumbrance, burden, or hindrance. It's not necessarily sin. Take a look at this guy. This guy is running with a burden. With a hindrance, with an encumbrance, he's running with a weight sled. Now, you can train that way, but would you run any race, 100 meter or 26.2 mile marathon, with that thing strapped to your waist? Answer, no. You lay it aside. So you say, okay, but what is the weight? Well, remember, it's an encumbrance. It's a hindrance. Another word is stumbling block. Think of this now. A stumbling block. 
which is like a hurdle. Could you imagine running 26.2 miles with a hurdle every 10 feet? Could you, um, you, how hard would that be? Oh, it'd be crazy. It'd be almost impossible. So if the weight is not sin, then what is it? It's anything that hinders us and holds us back. And it could be something good. It could be something like your job. But it's become a hindrance in your life because you overwork. You're working so many hours that your kids don't even know who you are. You're working so many hours that you hardly ever even attend church. It's an anomaly that you're even here today. And it's not that that work is a bad, you understand? It's not that it's a bad thing, but, it, but it's good, better, best. What is the best? It's whatever that's stuck down here in the good that can become a hindrance, that can become the weight. It could be your attitude. Maybe you got a bad attitude. Maybe you're moody all the time. It could be that you're in debt because you cannot tell yourself no. It's just so easy to click, click, right? On Amazon. And somebody's showing up at your house like every day. You got Amazon Prime and you use it. You know what I'm saying? And you're in debt up to your eyeballs. And it is a burden. It is a weight in your life. It doesn't mean that any of those things that you've bought is, is bad, that it's sinful. It's just, it's become a weight in your life. And so when you have that weight, this is how you look. We become burdened down. And so it can be an attitude. It can be a job. It can be materialism. It can be a lot of things. Now I thought about it. I thought, Lord, how do you want me to describe this? And so I'm looking at the word weight, and I'm doing the word study on it. And I'm finding that, that that word stumbling block is where it's used in other passages in the New Testament. So, so I started looking at it. I want you to see this too. I want you to understand what this actually means and how this applies to us as runners in the race. And to do that, I'm going to have to take you to a couple of places to tie this together, to cross-reference this. First places I need you to turn with me is to Romans chapter 14. Romans chapter 14. We're talking about the weight or an encumbrance or hurdles. Okay? Now, as you're turning there, I want to remind you of something, that we are not running this race alone. I, you know, at the start of a marathon race, they, they bank them all up there at the start-finish line. You see this? See, see the image of this? This is us, church. That is the family of God, okay? And we're all in this agon together. Now, there are going to be some that are ahead of us. They're, they're, just, they're just stronger in the faith. There's going to be some that run right beside of us. And there are going to be some that are behind us. And who's going to be in their vision as they're running? I am. You are. And they're watching. That's part of the weight. It not only affects us, but potentially becomes a stumbling block, a hurdle for others. Are you with me? This is how this ties. This is how it ties to weight in, he in Hebrews 12.1, okay? You've made it to Romans chapter 14. Now let me set the scene. Here was the issue. We're talking about meat here. You know, meat, yes. In Rome it was pagan, so ungodly. And they had all these idols, 
okay, in the streets of Rome. They had all these little figurines and stuff. And they would literally, we, were, we burned this note a minute ago. Did y'all smell the smoke? Okay. They burned meat to idols. And they burned it all day. All day they burned meat. I mean, can you imagine how stupid that is? Like we were going to burn something to this thing. Can you imagine, you know, these inanimate objects made with hands, right? So they burned the meat. Well, sometimes the meat didn't burn as fast. It can depend on the weather conditions, all kinds of things when you study this. And so at the, toward the end of the day, they'd have maybe some, uh, quite a bit of leftover meat. And you know what they did? Of course, these people are pagan. They're looking for money. And they're like, we've got to sell this meat. And they would run it down to the meat market and sell it at a discount. And it was cheap meat. Now, I wouldn't buy it. Probably had flies all over it all day, right? You know, you know what I'm saying? But I mean, some people look at it, and some of the Christians who had given their life to Christ were buying this meat offered to idols. And they were taking it home and fixing it and eating it. And the Apostle Paul actually described here via the Holy Spirit that it's okay to eat meat, any kind of meat. Peter had to work through that in his own head, you know, with the, going to Cornelius, the Gentile, and the sheet lowered down. You can eat anything. You can eat the pig now. You, you don't have to be kosher. You can, yeah, thank God. Man, I love bacon, don't you? I mean, thank you, Peter, God. Right? Okay, but here's the deal. The problem was that he said, but some are still offended and can't fathom that you or I would be eating meat that had been offered up to these idols. And so the Holy Spirit gives this prescription to the Apostle Paul for the, the, these Roman believers. And this is the part I want you to see. Okay, you've gone to Romans 14. I want you to look all the way down at verse number 20. Okay? Romans 14, now look at 20. Now watch this. We're talking about weight hindrances, hurdles, encumbrances that are in our lives that but, but can potentially hinder another runner. You ready? Do not, Paul says, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean. See, Paul said it again. He said, look, it's okay to eat the meat, but watch. But it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble, that's that weight, that's that hindrance, by what he eats. That's the hurdle. It is not good to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to what? Stumble. And just so that you know this is not isolated, I could take you to many other places. I'm going to take you to one more because it's quick. We're going to go to 1 Corinthians. You ready? So turn about three or four pages and go to 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Okay, take a right-hand turn. Turn about four, five, six pages at the most. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Same issue they're having in Corinth. Same issue. And I want, you to, I want you to watch how the same instruction is given. Watch. 1 Corinthians 8, jump down to verse 9. But take care that this right of yours, yes, you can eat the meat. You have the liberty to eat the meat. You know, we were, listen, church, we were singing. Seth was singing that song earlier. I am free, I am free indeed. Right? The chains are gone. The shackles are gone. You don't have to live by these, these uh, kosher dietary rules anymore. Okay, this is for the Jews. And so you can eat the meat. But there were some who were coming out of that, and they were, they were offended by it. And so what do you do? You look at them and say, build a bridge, get over it. I'm eating the meat. It's cheap. No. This is not what we do at all. Watch. Let's keep reading. Verse 10, for if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will, not he, will he not be encouraged if his conscience is weak to eat food offered to idols? Verse 11, and so by your knowledge this weak person is destroyed. It's a weaker runner. 
the brother for whom Christ died. Verse 12, thus sinning against your brothers and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat lest I make my brother stumble. What was Paul saying? I'm not going to do anything to put a hurdle in front of my brother. Even though I'm at liberty to eat it, if I got a brother that's offended by it, I'm not going to do it. And this goes to a lot of things. Years ago, uh, my wife and I, we were at a conference and uh, we were with another couple who uh, I worked with this gentleman at Ithaca Industries. And um, th they were, uh, they're Episcopalian, okay? So they drink wine and beer and different things with their meals and so forth. I knew that. We're, we're out of town. We're, we're actually in Charleston, South Carolina at a conference. So we're at a restaurant. Everybody's in there, all the people at the conference. And so we sit down. Waiter comes out. Waiter, waitress, I don't remember which one it was. Somebody came over, ordered, said, what do you want to drink? And, and gave the wine menu. I said, no thanks. And I passed it over to this, this couple. And I thought, yeah, they'll, they'll probably have a glass of wine. Okay? So I, I don't even remember what Pam and I ordered, water, tea, or something. And then the gentleman said to the whoever it was, waiter or waitress, um, whatever that was, is tea or water that they ordered. And so I'm sitting beside of this gentleman whom I've been working with four or five years, and I leaned over. I said, I said, it's, I mean, look, it's okay. You know what he said to me? I'll never forget this. He showed this passage right here. He said, Kevin, he said, I know that you don't drink. He said, and I would not do anything that would make you feel uncomfortable. And so we're not, we're not having a glass of wine tonight. Oh, my goodness. What did he show to me? Love. He deferred to me. You know, not that I would have, like, crawled under the table if he had a glass of wine. I mean, you know, we're in Charleston, right? I mean, nobody around here. But I might would have felt different if it was in Wilkesboro, right? So here's the thing. He showed love. He, the Bible says don't eat meat or drink wine or do anything that would cause a brother to stumble. This is a hard thing, see, because there are things that you might not consider sin that I might not consider sin, and to us it's not sin. But could it be a weight? You with me? This is the word, stumbling block. This is it's two different words in Hebrews 12, weight and sin. It's not necessarily sin. Can a Christian drink alcohol? Answer, yes. The, the question is, is that potentially going to be a stumbling block for someone? Let me give you an example. I walk out of the ABC store down here at the 421-16 stoplight with a fifth of Jack Daniels. Is that going to be a stumbling block? Some of you are going, I don't want to say. <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> it's going to be a stumbling block. So I'm at liberty to drink a fifth of Jack Daniels. But you know what? The Bible says this about alcohol. It says, do not get drunk on wine, which, which leads to debauchery. That means to sloppy sinfulness, but rather be filled with the Holy Spirit. It's a good, better, best. So for me, I have chosen in my life, I don't need the alcohol. Well, and Paul told Timothy, take a little wine for the stomach. I'll take a Tums. It's okay. You know what I'm saying? 
See, but people go, well, it's my liberty. I get it. I am free. I, I get it. Free for what? Listen, we're in a race. Who is on the racing bib? Kevin Brown? No. It is the marathon of Jesus Christ. I'm running for Jesus, not me. It's not about me. I have the Christian liberty to care more about my brother than myself. So I don't like that. Take it up with the Scripture. Hey, take it up with the Holy Spirit. We need to pray and ask the Lord, what would you, listen, where is Jesus right now? Tell me, where is He? He's in heaven, right? He's on the throne. He's at the right hand of the Father. So the Father and Jesus are in heaven. I get the Trinity, you know, there are one, but, but there's literally, read it in Revelation 22, there's two separate thrones, okay? So there's going to be the throne for the Father and the throne for Jesus in, in heaven. I have no problem with that, okay? Actually, the New Jerusalem. Where is the third person of the Trinity now? When you accept Christ by faith inside of you, right? So who's helping you run the agon? The Holy Spirit, Right? And so ask the Lord by way of the Holy Spirit, Lord, is this going to be, I appreciated my brother. He's, he's a brother in Christ. We have different views on a lot of different things, believe me. But he did not want to offend me. That, that sh I have such great respect for him for that. That he, ch he chose to sacrifice what he would normally do so as not to be a stumbling block potentially for me. You know, as I, was, as I was thinking about this, I was thinking about all the things that can be stumbling blocks. You know, the way we dress, right? I was thinking about the, the way that we talk. You know, like at the ballpark. You know, when the refs got the call wrong, like, all night. You know what I'm saying? Oh, and you're not cussing, but you've been talking about his mama for two innings. And the person that's sitting three rows over goes, isn't that Pastor Kevin? He's about to blow a gasket. Could that be a stumbling block? Yeah, it can be. That's why when I go to ball games, I sit on my hands. Because Lord help me if I get started. <laughs> we can be a stumbling block to our kids, Mom and Dad. We can act one way here in God's house and a whole other way at our house. And those mixed messages, man, it messes up the kid. We don't want to give mixed messages. We can be a stumbling block. I don't want to be a hindrance to anyone. Listen, our job as Christians in this race is to run for Jesus, not ourselves. We represent Jesus. And so, church, whatever you and I do, allow, condone, or justify that gets in the way of a, another believer and the Holy Spirit convicts you of that, then lay it aside for your brother. See, it's what we tolerate that the Holy Spirit convicts us of that, can eventually, that eventually can imprison us. It's what we tolerate that the Holy Spirit convicts us. You ever felt the Holy Spirit check your spirit? And you go, yeah, but I want to do that. But, 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 but maybe not in this occasion. Maybe not in this, this instance. That might not be the best thing to post, or that might not be the best thing to say to the referee about his mama. You know what I'm saying? And so we don't do it. As I was writing this message, my phone buzzed on the side of my desk, and I reached to get it quickly, because it had buzzed three or four times, and I was finishing a sentence, and I hit it. And, and instead of picking it up, I knocked it against the wall. <laughs> 
What did I do? Pick it up and do what? Check that precious thing. Oh, is it broken? You don't believe me. You know you dropped it and you, oh my goodness. Oh, you're looking for the crack. And I laughed at myself. And I thought to myself, man, I am so concerned about this stupid phone. I mean, we put these phone cases on them, right, to protect them, right, to protect them from water, to protect them from damage. And I thought about, what about our Christian witness? What about our Christian testimony? Maybe we need a Christian phone case. <laughs> maybe, maybe we need to think about a little bit more about protecting our testimony for the Lord Jesus in this run that we're running for Him. I don't want to be a stumbling block. I'll give you another example, uh, something I prayed about before I did it. You go, oh, that's the, what is that? Yeah, it's the father-daughter dance at Candace's wedding. You say you had to pray about that? No, not that part. <laughs> this part. Because we got a bit jiggy. We were doing the floss. Woo! And I'm like, you say, you prayed about that? Yes, I did. I thought, is that potentially going to offend me being a pastor? So I prayed about it. I told Candace, I said, let me pray about it. She's like, are you serious? I said, yes, I want to pray about it. And I prayed about it. And the Lord in my spirit said, Kevin, look, David danced in the streets of Jerusalem after he came back from the victories of war. The dance that we did was nothing vulgar. It was just cute. It was silly. And actually we did it so I wouldn't blubber and cry through the whole thing dancing with my daughter at her wedding, okay? So here's the thing. My conscience was clear about it. But for so often, Christians, we don't pray about anything. We just do it because it feels good. And so what happens is, is we get kind of selfish. Well, they'll just have to get over it if they're offended by it. Isn't that easy to say? Right? It is easy to say. But do we care more about our brother because we're running, the bib says Jesus Christ on it. It's not about me. My, again, my, Kevin Brown, my, this is how I see Christian liberty. It is my Christian liberty to be free to do that which will help my brother in Christ who might be weaker than me continue on in the journey even better and I don't cause them to stumble. That's how we're to look at it. That is Scripture. That is the weight that is described in Hebrews chapter 12. The point is, is that I prayed about it. We need to pray about stuff, folks. Stuff before we post stuff. Stuff before we talk about the referee's mama. Don't be talking about his mama unless you know her. I mean, and then you maybe can, you know, but not in a derogatory way. Who are we to look to? Jesus. See verse 2? Th this is the key. We are running the race, how? Verse 2, the agon looking to Jesus. Verse 2, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Some versions actually say the author and the finisher of our faith. Who for the joy that was set before Him did what? He endured the agony of the cross. 
And he, he said, it's okay. I know I'm going to be shamed in this. I know it's not going to bring me pleasure and joy because it's going to hurt. But he saw that he was going to be seated once again, see it at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider Jesus who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. And that was what Paul was writing to these first century Christians who were being chained up, beaten, lost their homes. And he said, be reminded of all that Noah went through. Be reminded of what Moses went through. Abraham on Moriah, that gut-wrenching season of the knives in the air ready to plunge into Isaac's heart and endure. Because Jesus did. Jesus endured. Who's at the finish line of this race? Jesus. Jesus is at the finish line. Where's the finish line, church? We just read it. At the throne of God. That's the finish line. And that's, what, that's where we're to look. How long did Jesus run this race? 33 years. The Bible says there, looking unto Jesus. That word looking in the Greek means to consider. And it's not a passing glance. Listen, you're Usain Bolt, and you come out of the box. Where are you looking? Where? Tell me. In the stands. No, the finish line. You're at 26 miles, and you come around the bend in that 26.2 miles, and then you see it. The finish line. You're not, that, that's where you're looking. I mean, because you're in agony. You're just trying to get there. But the finish line does what? Talk to a runner that's run a marathon. I have no idea. But a marathon runner will tell you when they see the finish line, it is a bolt of adrenaline. And they will finish that to the point that even if they, they'll crawl to the finish line if they have to. You've seen people crawl. I have. You've seen people crawl to the finish line. They see the finish line and it, it motivates them to get there. Our finish line is Jesus Christ in glory. You know, I live on Boone Trail. Several of you live on Boone Trail as well. Now, who was Boone Trail named for? Oh, yeah, good old Daniel Boone. Yeah, Daniel Boone, good old Daniel. You know, it's crazy. 150 years ago, Daniel Boone pioneered and trailblazed his way to the Cumberland Gap, coming right by where my house is today. How about that? Daniel Boone was a pioneer, and he marked the way. We call it Boone Trail now. 421 is Boone Trail. Can I show you the greatest pioneer who ever lived, the greatest trailblazer who ever lived? Jesus Christ, the greatest trailblazer who ever lived. And Jesus was not cutting down trees. He was dying on one. And he blazed the trail to heaven. He blazed the trail to glory, not with surveyor's tape, with his blood. And so a trail marker. By the way, Boone Trail actually starts down at Walgreens right in front of the hospital. Did you know that? Go down there and see the trail marker. How about that? Next time you're down there at Walgreens at that stoplight at Blow the Hospital, look at it. And that's where it runs. Jesus Christ, His trail markers are a bloodstained cross and an empty tomb. And you know what He says? Dorothy said, follow the yellow brick road. Jesus said, follow me. Follow me. So in our agon, in our race, it's not about me. My, my liberty is that I will abstain from something, whatever that it is, at the ballpark, in the restaurant, 
if, if, if I, the Holy Spirit is convicting me and says, nah, no, no, that's, that's, that's not going to be good for the kingdom. You understand? Th- this, is, this, is this, this is this race. Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. And how did Jesus endure to the end? <laughs> I love the way the artist did this picture. Where is Jesus looking to? Take a look at it again. Where is Jesus looking to? Heaven. He's looking to his Father. He, the agony that he was in, but do you know what he saw? He saw the throne of God, and he saw the seat from where he had come, the right hand of the Father. And that's where his eyes were fixed. And he finished it. The word finisher or perfecter there in Hebrews chapter 12 is a word in the Greek that's telote. That word is a word that we've heard a derivative of before that came out of the mouth of Jesus. Tetelestai. Any Bible scholar know what that means? What did he say the last thing he said on the cross? Tetelestai. Three words in the, in the English. It is finished. He is the trailblazer. And he finished the trail. And it ends in heaven. And you follow and I follow Jesus. And we lay aside anything that will slow us down or a brother in Christ. And we run to the finish. Amen. Thank you for joining us for today's message. Find us at www.mpbc.church and on Facebook at facebook.com slash mpbcnc. Have a great day, and we hope you'll join us again next week.